chapter twenty of the history of burke and hare and of the resurrectionist times this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the history of burke and hare by george mcgregor chapter twenty public anticipation of the trial appearance of burke and mcdougall in the dock opening of the court the debate on the relevancy of the indictment as the day fixed for the trial drew near the public excitement became more and more intense the feeling against the culprits was very strong and while the statement that hare and his wife were to be accepted as informers was received with a notion of displeasure it was thought that the revelations they would make would fully compensate for the loss to justice by their escape from punishment this displeasure was not as yet very definite for the people were unaware of the real facts of the case and had only a very hazy and general idea of what was likely to be brought out in court the public feeling however ran so high that the authorities deemed it necessary to take every precaution to prevent a disturbance and on the evening before the trial the high constables of edinburgh were ordered to muster the police were reinforced by upwards of three hundred men and the infantry in the castle and the cavalry at pierschill were held in readiness for any emergency the trial and its possible outcome was all the talk and the revelations about to be made were eagerly anticipated early on the morning of wednesday the twenty fourth december burke and mcdougall were conveyed from the calton hill jail where they had been confined and were placed in the cells beneath the high court of justiciary in parliament square until the time for the hearing of the case should come the inhabitants of the city were also early afoot and crowded to the square anxious to gain admittance to the court-room no trial said the edinburgh evening courant of the following day that has taken place for a number of years past has excited such an unusual and intense interest all the doors and passages to the court were accordingly besieged at an early hour even before daylight and it was with the utmost difficulty and by the utmost exertions of a large body of police that admission could be procured for those who were connected with the proceedings at nine o'clock the court-room was completely filled by members of the faculty and by the jury lord macdonald and another noble lord were seated on the bench at twenty minutes to ten o'clock the prisoners were placed in the dock and this is the description of them given by the courant burke is of a short and rather stout figure and was dressed in a shabby blue surtout there is nothing in his physiognomy except perhaps the dark lowering of the brow to indicate any peculiar harshness or cruelty of disposition his features appeared to be firm and determined yet in his haggard and wandering eye there was at times a deep expression of trouble as he unconsciously surveyed the preparations which were going forward the female prisoner appeared to be more disturbed every now and then her breast heaved with a deep-drawn sigh and her looks were desponding she was dressed in a dark gown checked apron cotton shawl and a much-worn brown silk bonnet the audience eagerly scanned the features of the prisoners and watched their every movement during the half-hour that elapsed between their being placed in the dock and the judges ascending the bench at ten minutes past ten o'clock their lordships took their seats 
these were the right honourable david boyle lord justice clerk and lords pitmelly meadowbank and mackenzie the crown was represented by sir william ray baronet lord advocate and messrs archibald allison robert dundas and alexander wood advocates depute with mr james tyler w s agent while the counsel for burke were the dean of faculty and messrs patrick robertson duncan mcneil and david milne and for mcdougall messrs harry coburn mark napier hugh bruce and george patton with mr james beveridge w s one of the agents for the poor there were thus the best men of the scottish bar engaged in the trial the defence of course had been undertaken gratuitously by these eminent counsel but the sequel showed that it suffered nothing at their hands on that account the court was fenced in the usual form and the lord justice clerk as the presiding judge called upon the prisoners to pay attention to the indictment to be read against them mr robertson however interposed by stating that there was an objection to the relevancy of the libel and he submitted it was proper to make such an objection at this stage of the proceedings the lord justice clerk did not see that this was the proper time but mr coburn urged that the reading of the document would prejudice the prisoners in respect of certain particulars which he was certain the court would ultimately find were no legal part of the libel on lord meadowbank hinting that an objection at that stage was interfering with the discretion of the court mr robertson intimated he would not press the matter further and the indictment was accordingly read when this was done the following special defences were submitted to the court for burke the panel pleads that he is not bound to plead to or to be tried upon a libel which not only charges him with three unconnected murders committed each at a different time and at a different place but also combines his trial with that of another panel who is not even alleged to have had any concern with two of the offences with which he is accused such an accumulation of offences and panels is contrary to the general and better practice of the court it is inconsistent with the right principle and indeed so far as the panel can discover is altogether unprecedented it is totally unnecessary for the ends of public justice and greatly distracts and prejudices the accused in their defence it is therefore submitted that the libel is completely vitiated by this accumulation and cannot be maintained as containing a proper criminal charge on the merits of the case the panel has only to state that he is not guilty and that he rests his defence on a denial of the facts set forth in the libel for mcdougall the defence was if it shall be decided that the prisoner is obliged to answer to this indictment at all her answer to it is that she is not guilty and that the prosecutor cannot prove the facts on which his charge rests but she humbly submits that she is not bound to plead to it she is accused of one murder committed in october eighteen twenty eight in a house in portsburg and of no other offence yet she is placed in an indictment along with a different person who is accused of other two murders each of them committed at a different time and at a different place it not being alleged that she had any connection with either of these crimes 
this accumulation of panels and of offences is not necessary for public justice and exposes the accused to intolerable prejudice and is not warranted so far as can be ascertained even by a single precedent mr robertson then went into a long and learned argument in support of these defences he submitted that both prisoners were prejudiced by being charged together in the same indictment for they were both put off their guard as to the evidence and productions to be brought against them and he further pointed out that in respect of the choice of a jury the accused were deprived of advantages given them by the law if the charges had been separated they would have been able to make a more complete defence and they would have had twenty challenges at the calling of the jury but as it was by the accumulation of panels and offences their defence was hampered and their number of challenges limited he quoted in his favour both scotch and english authorities apologising however for bringing forward the latter and in concluding said when your lordships look then at this case in all the aspects i have set before you when you see that there are accumulated and combined charges against different prisoners when you see the atrocious nature of these charges the number of the witnesses the declarations and the number of the articles libelled and when you see the humane and salutary principles of our law and the practice of this court your lordships will not be inclined to form a precedent which in the first place would be injurious to the law of the country and in the next place would be injurious to the unhappy persons now brought to this bar this speech caused a feeling of admiration in the court for the advocate had put forward his arguments in a most able manner but there was also something akin to dismay in the minds of many present lest the culprits should escape because of any flaw in the indictment the lord advocate had a difficult task before him but he confidently rose up to reply to the arguments adduced from the other side of the bar and attacked them in a most spirited manner he thought he could completely defend his method of bringing the prisoners to trial and show that it was not only sanctioned by the law of the country but also by numerous precedents even by those quoted by his learned friend but his object in placing the female prisoner in this indictment was that she might derive benefit rather than prejudice had he tried the man first and afterwards the woman adducing against her the same or nearly the same evidence brought against burke she would have good reason to complain of prejudice however since the objection had been raised he would not then proceed against her but would do so ten days hence but if she should suffer prejudice said he from the evidence in burke's trial going abroad let it be remembered it is not my fault she and her counsel must look to that it is their proceeding not mine turning to the objections in burke's case he said as to the second objection whether or not i am entitled now to go to proof on the three charges here exhibited or shall proceed seriatim i am aware that this is a matter of discretion with the court in so far however as depends upon me i declare that i will not consent to this being dealt with in the last of these modes no motive will induce me for one moment to listen to any attempt to smother this case to tie me down to try one single charge instead of all the three if i had confined myself to one of those charges 
if i had served the prisoner with three indictments and put the panel to the hardship of appearing three times at the bar i would have done one of the severest acts that the annals of this court can show i am told that the mind of the public is excited if so are they not entitled to know from the first to the last of this case and is it not my duty to go through the whole of these charges i would be condemned by the country if i did not and what to me is worse i should deserve it his lordship then went over the authorities cited by mr robertson and contended that they all bore against the arguments brought forward by the counsel for the defence replying for the defence the dean of faculty very learnedly examined the authorities quoted with the object of showing that the action of the public prosecutor in framing the libel as he had done was illegal and without precedent the pleadings finished lord pitmilly delivered the leading judgment he reviewed the arguments urged from both sides of the bar and signified his approval of the course the lord advocate intimated he would take with mcdougall as for burke he had stated through his counsel that he would suffer prejudice by going to trial on an indictment which charged him with three acts of murder unconnected with each other and his lordship therefore thought the prisoner should be charged for each of the acts separately lords meadowbank and mackenzie and the lord justice clerk concurred in the opinion given expression to by lord pitmilly and supported it by elaborate reasonings the lord advocate thus tied down intimated that he would proceed with the third charge libelled the murder of dougherty and that he would also proceed against mcdougall as well as burke for she could suffer no prejudice in being brought to trial for this single act on which she was charged as act and part guilty along with burke this decision rather surprised the dean of faculty who thought the diet against the woman had been deserted pro loco et tempore but the prosecutor claimed to proceed as he had indicated their lordships then pronounced an interlocutor of relevancy find the indictment relevant to infer the pains of law but are of opinion that in the circumstances of this case and in consequence of the motion of the panel's counsel the charges ought to be separately proceeded in and that the lord advocate is entitled to select which charge shall be first brought to trial and his majesty's advocate having thereupon stated that he means to proceed at present with the third charge in the indictment against both panels therefore remit the panels with that charge as found relevant to the knowledge of an assize and allow the panels and each of them a proof in exculpation and alleviation in company the prisoners were then asked to plead to the indictment as amended and they both offered pleas of not guilty a jury was impanelled fifteen men as required by the law of scotland the preliminary objections were thus got over and the trial could be proceeded with but the result of the discussion was that the public were deprived of the satisfaction of knowing in an authoritative manner the mystery connected with the deaths of mary patterson and daft jamie End of chapter twenty